The Sons of Liberty is a politically neutral organization. We believe that the Judeo-Christian ethic has provided the principles upon which this nation was founded. It is our belief that these principles provide not only the foundation and framework for American government and society, but are also essential to the maintenance of a fair and just society. All program content is based on a Christian biblical worldview. One of you said to me recently that we shouldn't rock the boat. Well, ladies and gentlemen, I want to tell you that I am a boat rocker. I will not wear the mask. 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 I will not wear a mask. I will not get the vaccine. I will not get the vaccine. And I will not get the vaccine. I will resist evil. I will resist evil. I will resist evil. I will submit to God. I will submit to God. I will submit to God. In the Lord, I will praise his word. In God, I have put my trust, and I will not be afraid. Hear my prayer, O Lord, and let my cry come to you. Do not hide your face from me in the day. For the Lord is the great God, and the great King above all. Rise up, O judge of the earth. Render punishment to the proud. Lord, how long will the wicked, how long will the wicked triumph? Righteousness and justice are the foundation of this I hate the work of those who follow it. With my mouth I will make known your faithfulness to all generations. For I have said, mercy shall be built up forever. Your faithfulness you shall stand. On an instrument of ten strings, on the lute and on the harp, with harmonious sound. For you, O Lord, have made me glad through your works. I will triumph in the works of your are on high forevermore. For behold, your enemies shall perish. All the workers of iniquity shall be scattered. I will defy tyrants. 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 And good day, America. Welcome Christians, conservatives, constitutionalists, liberals, libertarians, communists, Islamists, LGBTQ, RSTV, WXYZ people, all the boat rockers in the house, and anybody else I may have missed to the Sons of Liberty radio show here on Red State Talk Radio, where we use the Bible and the Constitution not to see who's on the right or the left, but who is on the straight and narrow. I'm your host, Tim Brown, coming to you live from the U.S. occupied state of South Carolina, the editor at SonsOfLibertyMedia.com, and for our Muslim friends, I'm the infidel that Allah warns you about. I hold to the book, the Bible. As the authoritative word of God, glad that you guys have joined us this morning. If you'd like to check us out online, please do so, sonsoflibertyradio.com and also sonsoflibertymedia.com. In fact, if you're listening by way of Red State Talk Radio and you want to watch the video portion of the radio show, that's right, you can see the face that's made for radio, head over to sonsoflibertymedia.com and you'll see two videos at the top of the page. The one on the left side is Bradley's show from yesterday. All you got to do is click on and uh, play it up until 3 o'clock today, at which time it will, he will be live in that little area right there. So if you missed him, you can catch that up until 3, and then he'll be live in that uh, spot there on sonsoflibertymedia.com. Right side of the page is where we're at, and our... Web page has a cache. I don't understand what goes on here because Firefox is where I put all the stuff in. comes up just fine. So when you go over there, hopefully it doesn't look like this. <laughs> uh, and you'll have the uh, the right image there. Just click on the play button. 
blow it up on whatever device you've got. And then uh, in the bottom right-hand corner, there's a rumble icon. You could uh, click on that and uh, join us in the chat on Rumble. We are streaming live to Rumble at Sons of Liberty Radio Live. Uh, that's the channel. Please subscribe there. Also, beforeitsnews.com, top of the page. DLive.tv at the Sons of Liberty. Variety of Facebook pages that bear my name, both personal and public. Uh, also, Twitter at the Real Tim Brow. Don't put the end on the end there and put a two in its place. Uh, streaming live there and also on Twitch at the Real Tim Brown. Okay, so you guys got a number of ways you can catch the show, um, but we're always here on SonsOfLibertyMedia.com. Also, right up under where we're streaming live is where you can sign up for our email newsletter that goes out about seven or eight o'clock, or between seven and eight o'clock in the evening Eastern Time each day. And then, if you want our ministry email, go to SonsOfLibertyRadio.com. You can sign up for that right on the front page. If you agree with our message, you'd like to help keep us out there doing the things that we do, uh, internet, radio, and out among the people, there is a donate button at the top of the page. Click on that and make a one-time donation. Or you can become a son or daughter of liberty. These are our monthly supporters, and we really do appreciate you guys. That link is also at the top of the page. We appreciate you guys and your support of us in every way, not just the financial way, but uh, uh, as I mentioned the other day, uh, through prayer, through participation, through coming in and supporting and listening to the show. We appreciate you very much. Also, our store is available this week. We are highlighting the Sons of Liberty dog tags. Uh, again, they look better than the mock-up images here. <laughs> They're real metal. They're pretty thick. Um, you can get some of these silencers that go on them, uh, those little rubber silencers. They're pretty cheap. I think you can get like four of them for like 3 or $4 or something. Uh, so if you don't want them clanging around or something like that, you can, you can do that. These are normally $8. We've got them in black and we've got them in silver. And uh, they have Sons of Liberty on the front and then 1 John 3.18 on the back. And they're normally $8 this week only through Saturday at midnight, tomorrow at midnight. Uh, you can get these for 10% off when you use the promo code LOVE. LOVE it corresponds with 1 John 318, loving indeed. Okay. All right. A um, <clears throat> couple of things here this morning before we get into oil. Oh, where did I go? A couple of things I want to get into this morning before we uh, uh, do some uh, Bible study today. I mean, I haven't had a chance to do monologue. Uh, we've had a lot of guests on and informative guests, and I, I'm thankful that, that we've had them on. Uh, but before I do, have you guys seen this um, this report out? on the IRS. Now, we know they were getting what? They were trying to get 87,000 IRS agents making buku money. And um, yeah, they're going to they're be targeting all kinds of people. Uh, but like the FBI, that should be abolished. The IRS should be abolished, along with the rest of D.C., listen to this report that's come out. Now, this is by Fox News, F-A-U-X. Uh, news, and um, there's five IRS agents that have been charged with COVID relief fraud. Say it isn't so. Yep, it's so. Check it out. Charged five current or former IRS employees with stealing COVID relief funds, prompting new questions over how the agency can hold average Americans accountable on their taxes. Ah. FBN's Hillary Vaughn yeah. has more from Capitol Hill for us. So, Hillary, this scandal is happening, folks will remember, while President Biden is hiring 87,000 new IRS agents. 
Exactly, Sandra. This bombshell investigation from the DOJ kind of highlights that the IRS might already have their hands full policing the people they already have on staff. One of these IRS employees committed pandemic fraud in more than one way. A 38-year-old woman from Cardova, Tennessee, submitted loan applications for pandemic relief for businesses that did not exist. She also claimed to be unemployed to collect extra cash, all while being actually employed by the IRS. So not only getting taxpayer funded paychecks, but stealing taxpayer money at the same time. The U.S. attorney for the Western District of Tennessee saying these thieves stole the money not out of need, but out of greed. Quote, these individuals acting out of pure greed abused their positions by taking government funds meant for citizens and businesses who desperately needed it. And what they spent the money on will blow your mind. The five employees used stolen taxpayer money to buy luxury goods like I think these were the same people Benz, collecting Gucci for clothing, BLM. Gucci purses and jewelry. They spent it on self-care like manicures and massages and vacations. Several of them taking trips to Vegas to blow the stolen cash. This isn't the only issue, though, with the IRS that's causing some lawmakers to question if more IRS agents is a good idea. Last month, the U.S. Treasury Inspector General announced they would be auditing the IRS to make sure their own staff are paying taxes after reports found that over 1,200 of them did not pay their own taxes or were late to pay. 1,250 employees were willfully delinquent on those tax returns. They hadn't paid their taxes. And there were 300 of them that were repeat offenders. Even one of them is in an IRS criminal investigator. So we've got to stop this. And if we're hiring 87,000 new agents, maybe we should make sure they're policing their own agency first. Sandra, and some of the excuses these agents used for not paying taxes, it was too complicated to figure out. Sandra? Hillary Vaughn, live on Capitol Hill for us. <laughs> Hillary. Well, look, there's no doubt they make it complicated, and they do that to draw you into their web. Uh, basically, anybody that files taxes, I'm going to tell you, there's probably something that you've done out of, out of wrong, done wrong there when you fill out those things. Okay, um, And the point is, is this. Eric, you're exactly right. Taxes on the individual person is nothing but stealing from them. Government does not have the right to the fruit of your labor. It doesn't. It doesn't have the right to the fruit of your labor. It doesn't. And this is part of the problem. They install unlawful money. That's what we're using now, unlawful money. And then they start practicing unlawful things like this. By the way, this was going on under Donald Trump, just so you guys are aware out there. This was going on under Trump because COVID relief funds were coming out under Donald Trump. All those that $6.2 trillion unconstitutional spending of our money, that was Donald Trump. And the subsequent payments that went out and everything too. I just want you to think about that. You may want to blame this on Joe Biden. And he's got his own crimes to deal with. Don't get me wrong. He's got his own crimes and treason to deal with. But that happened under the previous guy. And now these guys are doing something with it. Anyway, just thought it's ironic with the hiring of 87,000 IRS agents. Here we are. They can't even pay their own taxes. And in fact... I've often asked, you know, people get upset. Oh, such and such isn't paying their fair share. 
Why aren't you asking why nobody's paying anything? That should be the question. Why are people not paying and saying, no, we're not doing it? You know what? Our, the, 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 the founding fathers got together and had a little tea party. Huh? What did they do that? Why did, why did they have that little tea party? Oh, that's right. There's a couple of cents on the tea tax. A couple of cents. Went through the tea in the harbor. I'm not advising Pete. I, I don't know that that was maybe the, the necessary thing to do. Everybody say, yeah, it was. But the fact of the matter is, is this. They didn't just go have a protest, like with signs and stuff. They didn't. They went and dumped the tea in the harbor. And, um, Yeah. Yeah, they that, that was over that was over two cents, and and the the taxes they were getting was like two or three percent. It's nothing. Even the low tax rate that we're in now is what ten, twelve percent. And some of these knuckleheads on DC, like uh, AOC, who graduate who is said to graduate with uh, an economics degree, wants to is fine with taxing you seventy five percent, ninety five percent maybe. I I don't know. Because she can't get an apartment in D.C. for $174,000 a year. Yeah. Yeah. Just keep that in mind. So here's here's the thing I want to do. Uh, All this week I've been kind of mulling some things because I've had several people, some in the chat, some that I've, I've run into or talked to. And they've kind of they've kind of expressed, you know, all this bad stuff that's going on. There's a lot of good things that are happening too. I, I want to, I, I do want to put that there. There is a lot of good things. I mean, even having Dr. Roth on yesterday, you know, some doctors are actually looking to correct some of the stuff that's gone on with these shots in people who are willing to who are willing to do something, who are informed and willing to do something about it. Uh, and then there are others um, for a variety of reasons. They're looking for things to to help other people. We had you know Corey Hollis to talk about his stuff. His his uh. You know, the stuff he's made to stop EMFs. We have seen uh, a lot of people in some of these places where some of these natural disasters happen. We're seeing, like in Florida, we're seeing the people coming out and helping each other. We always see that. We always see that other people come to the aid. uh, There are people who come to the aid of others that aren't part of government. Those are good things. Those are good things that God blesses us with. We see where people are kind. I've mentioned to you many times um, people who are kind to our family um, and in encouragement or in you know a financial blessing or in praying for us or any of that stuff. And those are good things in the midst of all the bad stuff that's going on. And so I, I you know, somebody said something, and I don't know where it came from. I forget where it came. From. Oh, you know, God uh, doesn't purpose. Such awful things. I think it was dealing with, uh, it might have been in a Telegram chat. Uh, God doesn't purpose such awful things as what's going on with these, you know, with the children and and uh, the human trafficking and blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, wait a minute. I don't like that stuff any more than anybody else. But God has a good purpose in those things. In fact, He has purposed them. Now that's going to... That's going to strike some people odd. Let me let me go back. We'll use teach you a couple of theological terms if you're not familiar with them. Let's go back into the garden. 
Well, let's ask a question of ourselves. Because everybody out there, everybody listening to me is a theologian. Every one of you. You're either a good one or a bad one. But you are a theologian. Okay? Even those of you who may profess to be atheists, there is no such thing. And there's no such thing as an agnostic. Romans 1 says you know there's a God. You just don't want to honor Him as God. There's a reason for that. I can say in general you're in rebellion against Him, but there's reasons for why people go that route. And they usually, when you press that on them and you don't let up on that, they'll tell you, well, He let my mom die, or He let this happen to me, or I lost this, or this happened, or whatever the case may be. There's a reason that they do it, and they don't have a proper understanding with God, so they don't want to honor Him as God. And so they suppress the truth and unrighteousness, is what Paul says in Romans 1. And I hope that today I can speak not only to those people, but also to those who call themselves followers of the Lord Jesus Christ. And the reason I say that is because often, as followers of the Lord Jesus Christ, we might get our eyes off of him and start to look around and go, God, why are you letting this happen? What's going on? Now, I think it's natural for us to want to know. We're made in the image of God. We want to know what God is up to. As the prophet said, does he do something in the city and he doesn't let his prophets know? No, he lets them know. And they tell the people. They warn the people. So let's just start off with this. Uh, the, the two words that I want to use here, very, sim very simple, intralapsarian Supralapsarian. Some of you guys go, what? What did you say? Supercalifragilistic makes me allidocious? I, I don't even know how to say that fast. Supralapsarian, not super, supralapsarian, and infralapsarian. Now, this is an argument that went on about what took place in the garden, in creation. And did God, you know, did he know there was going to be a fall and uh, that he would have to provide a savior and redemption and all of this stuff? Before it happened, and he purposed it to happen, he decreed it to happen, or did this kind of, you know, kind of take place along the way? Yeah. yeah. So, we're not really told specifically, hey, this was this, this, and this, but we have all kinds of indications from Scripture that God is omniscient. That means he knows all things. He's not learning things, as some people want to tell us that he's learning things. He's trying and then redoing, and it's kind of a deja vu thing with God. No, that's not who he is. He knows all things. In fact, the Bible says he knows the end, not the beginning, the end from the beginning. He's already mapped out what history is going to be about, and everything that takes place in history. Listen, friend, whoever you are out there, you do nothing apart from the decree of God. Nothing. I had a guy sit across from me. We, we worked together. Uh, we got done working. We sat in a hotel room, and there was a table between us. And he just, he would, he could not be, he wanted to push his free will out there, which he doesn't have. And he said, so are you telling me that this issue here of me picking up this Coke can and putting it back down on a table God decreed that. And I said, yep. And I said, one day you're going to stand before him and he's going to show you how he decreed it and for what purposes. It was to show you how foolish you're sounding right now. That somehow you think you can do things on your own. Well, listen. Let's look at this. What does the scripture say? 
in. We go to Romans 8, 28. And I think this passage for me has been one that I've had to bring myself back to many, many times. Because my mind will stray from that and go, why, why is this going on, Lord? You know, not in my mind, it's not to call into question who he is or what he what he's doing, but it's why are you doing this here? What are you trying to teach me? I want to understand that. Okay. And we read beginning in um verse twenty six. Likewise, the Spirit also helpeth our infirmities, for we know not what we should pray for as we ought. But the Spirit itself maketh intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. Now, it says cannot be uttered, and I've heard people take this passage and turn it into praying in tongues. It says it cannot be uttered. <laughs> I mean, I don't know how clear it can be. And he that searcheth the hearts knoweth what is the mind of the Spirit, because he maketh intercession for the saints according to the will of God. So if we don't pray right, if we don't pray rightly, and we've been given the Spirit of God, what is it telling us that will happen? The Spirit of God will pray the will of God on our behalf. And then he says this, And we know that all things... How many things? few things. What we perceive as good things. No, all things work together for good to them that love God and to them who are called according to His purpose. Now, keep in mind, this is for those who are loving God and are called to according to His purpose. All things are working together for our good. If you are not loving God, and if you have not been called according to His purposes, then all things together are naturally working for what? You're bad. You're bad. We're going to take a look at some of these things in just a minute. So that's really the foundation here. We talk about God's providence. We talk about His decrees, what He has decreed before time even began, before all of creation. And this is where I go back to the superlapsarian, infralapsarian. Did He know? Did He not know? Did He decree it? What, what happened there? Well, yeah, of course He decreed the fall. How else was He going to bring about glory to Himself through the Lord Jesus. How was he going to do that? How was he going to show his redemptive character, his grace and mercy to his creation? God had a good purpose in that. Now, was the fall itself bad? Yeah, it was wicked. It was a rebellion against God. Well, Tim, you're you're talking out of both sides of your mouth. No, I'm not. And I'm going to show you, I'm going to show you how I'm not. And you guys remember the story of Joseph. Joseph was one of 12 brothers, right? His father, Jacob. And Jacob loved Joseph more, and he demonstrated it more than his brothers. In fact, he did it in such a way that was just right in their face. He gave him a coat of many colors. Any of you guys have been to Sunday school, you know the story. And his brothers were jealous of him already because Joseph's saying, you know, I had this dream about these these bells and stuff. They bowed down to me, and the sun, moon, and stars bowed down to me. And Jacob and his wife and his brothers knew he was talking about them, and the brothers were jealous. Now, J uh, Joseph 
was giving forth a dream that was a prophecy of what was to come. Okay. So what did the brothers do? Well, the brothers conspire against Joseph, and they're wanting to kill him. Yeah, we can, you know, we can kill him, and then we can, uh, you know, we can be done with this guy, this dreamer. Okay. So they go. He comes out one day. They're all sitting around talking about this, and they capture him, and they're going to kill him. And Reuben says, "Wait a minute, wait a minute, guys, let's not do this." Okay. Uh, and they see this caravan of men who's going down into Egypt. And they have slaves. Let's sell him into slavery. Let's take his coat. Let's cover it in some animal blood. We'll take it back to our father and say he was killed by a wild animal. I mean, so they're wicked either way. So they sell their own brother into slavery. Now, is that a good thing? That's human trafficking, isn't it? And Joseph was a young boy. That's a wicked thing, isn't it? To sell your own brother into there and then to take and deceive your father? That's a wicked thing. And they were all conspiring to do it. Okay? Now, what happens? Well, we know the story. Joseph goes down into Egypt. He's, uh, he's sold there to Potiphar. He, he works in his house. Potiphar really admires him, leaves him with everything to, to attend to. He's the head of, of everybody. So, here's the thing. He's doing that. Potiphar's wife does what? She accuses him of trying to rape her. Potiphar comes in, doesn't really give Joseph a, a fair due process or anything, just out of rage. Oh, you did this to my wife? Throw him in jail. Was that evil? Was that wicked? Yeah, it was evil what his wife did. It was just as wicked what he did. Potiphar did. Did Joseph sin in the midst of that? Nope. Does God have a good purpose in all of those things? Yes, He does. And His Word says so. And I'm going to bring that up in just a minute. So Joseph goes into prison. He meets with a baker and a butler. And they have dreams. And he, tell, he interprets their dreams. And for one of them, it's you're going to lose your head. Literally, you're going to get your head cut off. And for the other one, you're going to be restored to your position. And when you're restored to your position, don't forget to tell them who told you all this stuff, right? So the guy gets his head cut off. The other guy goes up and he gets restored and he forgets all about Joseph until the Pharaoh has a dream. And when the Pharaoh has a dream, it's indicating something really bad is coming on the people of Egypt. What's that something? Well, there's going to be a famine. And he has a couple of dreams, and nobody can answer it. All the wise men, it's kind of like the story of Nebuchadnezzar and Daniel. Uh, it's got, the, the wise men can't tell him what's going on there. Um, and so here's the thing. Joseph is languishing in prison. All of a sudden, the butler went, oh, there's this guy. He told me about this. This is why I'm in the position I'm in. He told me what was going to happen. His name's Joseph. You need, you need to go call for him. He can tell you what's going on, Pharaoh. So Joseph comes and he tells him what's going on. He says, look, you're going to have seven years of plenty and you're going to have seven years of famine. That's what your dreams mean. And the Pharaoh believes it, raises Joseph up, real high spot in Egypt, and puts him over the granary and says, okay, let's store up during the seven good years so we'll have plenty and excess for the seven years of famine. And he does that. 
<clears throat> now, is the famine a good thing? Not in our mind. People are starving. That's that, that certainly isn't a good thing, is it? That people are starving. So what happens? Well, during this, Joseph's brother, brothers and his father and his family are caught in the midst of the famine too. And what do they have to do? Well, they have to go down to Egypt and they have to get food from Egypt. And we read that everybody is selling and giving all their stuff away to the Pharaoh just to be fed. <clears throat> this is how bad things have gotten. Was there a good purpose in all this? Yep. Yeah, there was. So, what happens here? Well, Joseph kind of plays with them. He recognizes who they are. They don't recognize him. So there's obviously been some time that outwardly he would look different. Uh, very, very uh, uh, possibly Joseph had shaved off a beard because usually uh, the Hebrews would grow their beards. Um, and so we're, we even read that he shaved in the custom of the Egyptians. So we've seen some of that. So Joseph... This this guy who's been elevated <clears throat> is now over his brothers. The prophecy comes true that he said about his dreams. They bowed down to them to him. They were looking for food. They brought money. He gave them food, and then he was sticking all their money back in their in their bags. And in one case, he took his cup and he put it in the bag of the youngest brother Benjamin. And they caught him. They brought him back and all that. And when they brought him back. He wept seeing his brothers because he loved his brothers. Even though they didn't love him, he loved them. Joseph is a, a, an incredible picture of Jesus Christ. Saves many people, right? He is one who loves despite being ridiculed, sold into slavery, lied about, everything else. And so the Bible says that Joseph brings them aside privately and he says, it's me, it's Joseph. And you can imagine the brothers, they don't recognize him. And one commentator has said that he more than likely showed them his genitals that he had been circumcised to, to identify, hey, it's really me. I'm not an Egyptian disguised as, as a Hebrew. He, he showed him that. And so they wept. And then what happens? Joseph sends for all of his family, Jacob, and, and all of the servants. I think they had 70 people in the house. They brought down into Egypt, and the Bible says that they grew and they grew and they grew. And then when you get into Exodus, you find out they've, they've multiplied in such a number, God has blessed them, Psalm 127, 128. They blessed them, and then they get taken into slavery. Was that a good thing? Nope, but the end result was a good thing. God showed himself strong as their deliverer. You see what's going on here? God has a good purpose in everything. No matter how wicked and evil it is, he has a good purpose in it. And so what happens? When Jacob is dying, and he is blessing his sons, we go over into uh, Genesis chapter 50. And here's what we read. And they sent a messenger unto Joseph, saying, 
or excuse me, and when, let's go back to 15. And when Joseph's brethren saw that their father was dead, they said, Joseph will peradventure hate us and will certainly requite us all the evil which we did upon him. Now, if you know the story, there's nothing that indicates that Joseph is angry with his brothers. Nothing. He has done nothing but love them, not hate them, not even given any indication of hate. He's brought them into his house. He's fed them. He's taken care of them. All of that. And they, the brothers, sent a messenger unto Joseph, saying, Thy father did command before he died, saying, So shall ye say unto Joseph, Forgive, I pray thee now, the trespass of thy brethren and their sin, for they did unto thee evil. And now we pray thee, Forgive the trespass of the servants of, thy, of the God of thy father. And Joseph wept when they spake unto him. Jacob didn't say, he didn't say this. This is what they, they were trying to get out of. So they felt their own guilt despite his goodness to them. Joseph wept when they spake unto him. It's like, boys, you don't get it. I don't hate you. I love you. You're my brothers. How do you know that, Tim? Verse 18, And his brethren also went and fell down before his face, and they said, Behold, we be thy servants. And Joseph said unto them, Fear not, for am I in the place of God? Am I in the place of God that I'm going to be your judge in that manner? No. And he said, But as for you, now, catch this, you thought evil against me, or you're you meant evil against me. But God meant it. What is the it? Your intentions, what you did to me. He meant all of that. He meant it unto good. Why? To bring to pass as it is this day to save much people alive. Now, therefore, fear ye not, I will nourish you and your little ones. And he comforted them and spake kindly unto them. And Joseph dwelt in Egypt, he and his father's house. And Joseph lived 110 years. He saw Ephraim's children of the third generation. The children also of Machir and uh, the son of Manasseh were brought up uh, upon Joseph's knees. And Joseph said unto his brethren, I die, and God will surely visit you and bring you out of this land unto the land which he swore unto Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. Now, he didn't do that specifically to them, but he did it to their children. But what, notice that little passage there. Ye thought evil against me, but God meant it unto good. A lot of people are suffering now. Some very out of their ignorance. Some of them not out of their ignorance. They, they've not done anything wrong. You go, what do you mean? I'm going to point to Job in just a second. But many people suffer from different things. They've, many people here in the past couple of years have lost their loved ones to these shots. And they go, why would a loving God let this happen? I get the, I get the questioning, why? Why? This is, these are wicked things. Some people have lost their children. Some people have lost their spouses. Maybe some people out there have lost the use of their limbs, their eyes, the ability to hear, the ability to speak. They're, they're, they're covered in 
some of this stuff that we've seen, like from these shots, these rashes and things. Why would a good God let this happen? And many of them will say, why does God let bad things happen to good people? Here's a memo. There are no good people. Not one of us. The Bible says, we all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. There is none righteous, no, not one. There is none who seeketh after God. There is no God seekers. All these seeker-friendly churches, there is none. The only reason men seek after God is because God has worked in their heart to seek after Him. They don't do that naturally. Oh, they seek gods. They seek their own lusts, but they don't seek the one and true and living God. Why does God let all these things happen? And I'm amazed when I talk to certain people who are all about liberty, but they don't want to talk about God. And they go, well, if God, if God really existed, if he really was loving and this, that, and the other, here's the thing. Why doesn't he put a stop to it? Now, stop and think of the irony of that. These are people who don't want anybody in authority over them. Now, look, I'm one of those people who think we would be better off within the church the way that God has established the authority in the church, and we self-govern, okay? Period. I'm one who thinks that. But these people don't even want God to rule over them, and yet they say, well, why doesn't God put a stop to that? Oh, so you don't want, you don't want God in your life, but you want him to be a dictator when you want him to be a dictator, right? Is that what I'm hearing? Yep, that's exactly what I'm hearing, okay? So how can this be? How can Joseph look at his brothers who sold him into slavery, then he got into this house, and the wife lied about him, then he got thrown in jail, and the guy forgot about him, and now he's pulled up to this place... You say, well, it all turned out good in the end, Tim, so that's how he can be that way. Now, Joseph had this kind of heart before that. He had this kind of heart before that. You thought it evil against me, but God meant it unto good. Now, one of the the things I brought up just a little while ago, I'm just going to give you a, a little slice of this from Job, is the story of Job. Job is kind of like Joseph. He's just minding his own business, taking care of business at home, got his family there and everything else. Doesn't even know the discussions that are going on before the Lord. He's just, he's a God-fearing man. So let's go to Job. There's a man in the land of Uz. His name was Job. And that man was perfect and upright and one that feared God and eschewed evil. And there were born unto him seven sons and three daughters. His substance also was 7,000 sheep and 3,000 camels and 500 yoke of oxen and 500 she-asses and a very great household, so that this man was the greatest of all the men of the east. And his sons went and feasted in their houses, every one his day, and sent and called for their three sisters to eat and to drink with them. And it was so, when the days of their feasting were gone about, that Job sent and sanctified them and rose up early in the morning and offered burnt offerings according to the number of them all. For Job said, it may be that my sons have sinned and cursed God in their hearts. So Job was interceding for his children. Thus did Job continually. This was his practice. This is what he did. And there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan came also unto them, uh, also among them. And the Lord said unto Satan, Whence comest thou? And Satan answered the Lord and said, From going to and fro in the earth and from walking up and down in it. 
Sounds just like what Peter says, right? He's a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. And the Lord said unto Satan, Hast thou considered my servant Job, that there is none like him in the earth, a perfect and an upright man, one that feareth God and escheweth evil? And Satan answered the Lord and said, Does Job fear God for naught? He's not fearing you for nothing. I mean, look, hast not thou made an hedge about him and about his house and about all that he hath on every side? Notice that Satan even recognizes that Job has a hedge of protection from who? God. And Satan can't do jack squat apart from God removing that hedge and giving him permission. Okay, keep that in mind. Keep that in mind. This goes along with what the purpose is. What is the purpose that we're going to see here in Satan's heart? It is meant for evil. What is the purpose of God's heart? It is meant for good, what we're fixing to talk about. Thou hast blessed the work of his hands, and his substance is increased in the land. I mean, yeah. How, can, you, can you imagine this? Uh, what did we read up here? 7,000 sheep. I just can't even keep up with that. 7,000 sheep. How are you going to... How are you going to attend to that? This is when, you know, the family was sort of extended with servants who lived with the family and they, you know, whatever work they did there in, in the household came back to them. It was like it was their house too. 3,000 camels, 500 yoke of oxen, 500 she-asses, and a very great household. Lots of men in there. Kind of like what Abraham had, well-trained men, three, 318 or whatever, that were trained militiamen in the house of Abraham when he went to go get Lot. So, Satan says to the Lord, But put forth thine hand now, and touch all that he hath, and he will curse thee to thy face. And God said, Challenge accepted. And the Lord said unto Satan, Behold, all that he hath is in thy power. He removed the hedge of protection from everything that Job had. Only upon himself put not forth thine hand. So he kept the hedge of protection around Job, but he took it off everything he had. His livestock, the people in his household, the, um, his children. So Satan went forth from the presence of God. And there was a day when, the sons, when his sons and daughters were eating and drinking wine in their eldest brother's house. And there came a messenger unto Job and said, The oxen were plowing and the asses feeding beside them. And the Sabaeans fell upon them and took them away. Yea, they have slain the servants with the edge of the sword. And I only am left. I only am escaped alone to tell thee. And while he was yet speaking, there came another and said, The fire of God is fallen from heaven and hath burned up the sheep and the servants and consumed them. And I only am escaped alone to tell thee. I don't know if we should call these guys <laughs> fortunate or not. Definitely in God's providence, he left them to tell the story. And verse 17, While he was yet speaking, there came another also and said, and you can imagine Job, he's going like, do you got good news to tell me or is this more bad news? The Chaldeans made out three bands and fell upon the camels and have carried them away, yea, and slain the servants with the edge of the sword, and I only am escaped alone to tell thee. And while he was yet speaking, there came also another and said, Thy sons and thy daughters were eating and drinking wine in their eldest brother's house. And behold, there came a great wind from the wilderness and smote the four corners of the house and it fell upon the young men and they are dead. And I only am escaped alone to tell thee. What would you do? 
what would you do? Here's what Job did. Job arose, rent his mantle, shaved his head, fell down upon the ground, and worshipped. Mm. Mm. And said, Naked came I out of my mother's womb, and naked shall I return thither. The Lord gave, and the Lord hath taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. In all this, Job sinned not, nor charged God foolishly. Hear me, friends. Those of you who shake your fist at God, why did you do this to me? You've got the wrong attitude. I get it. I'm a man. I get it. I get the lost thoughts of that you're not in control. But God is, and God has good purposes in everything that takes place for those who love Him and are called according to His purposes. But they're good no matter what they are. Let me tell you something. The Bible says when there's chaos, when there's evil that comes into the city, hath not God done it? Yes, He has. Yes, He has. Does He use the wicked intents of men's hearts to perform His purposes of judgment at times? Yes, He has. All you got to do is look back at Israel. God called Nebuchadnezzar his guy, Babylon his army, and he used them against his own people for judgment because he says, if you don't obey me, I'm going to chastise you. I'm going to judge you. And he warned them, and he warned them, and he warned them, and he warned them. In fact, I want to toss that out just a second. I I finished yesterday listening to Pastor Baldwin as he's going through Revelation, uh, I think it was chapter 6, same things that I see when I go to the context. And he talks about the destruction of Jerusalem. And God had warned them and warned them and warned for years, hundreds of years, sending them the prophets. And what did they do? Nope, shut up. We're going to kill you. We're going to saw you in two. We're going to feed you to the lions. We're going to you know, do whatever we're going to do to you. And then he sent them his son and they did the same thing and they killed him. And we're going to get to that in just a minute too. We may go over a little bit today. This was an all. Satan left... Job, his wife, his nagging like some kind of drip through the roof wife who kept telling him, curse God and die. Curse. She wasn't encouraging him. Job, you're right. I'm going to pray for you. I'm going to come alongside you. Nope. Job goes back and now, uh, excuse me, Satan goes back and he says, I, I, want, I want a pound of his flesh here. And God goes, okay, you can have at him, but you can't kill him. Now again, the devil is God's devil. He's not autonomous and on his own. But I want you to understand something. God gave the signal, right? Why? Because God had a good purpose in what he was doing there. And so Job was struck with all these sores. Here's this guy that had literally the world. That's what we would say about him. God had blessed him in such a way. Now he's left... With a nagging wife, he's got some friends who are accusing him of sin, which he, the Bible says he didn't do. And he's out there with pieces of pottery, sitting in that ash heap, scratching his sores that are all over his body. Tell him that can't be good. How is that a good thing? 
because God is being glorified in the midst of it, one, through how Job is conducting himself. He is a faithful man of God. Let me ask you something. How many of you enjoyed hearing Pastor Artur Pawlowski on the show after he won his court battle? I did. How many of you were encouraged? I was. How many of you want to do the same thing? I wanted to do it. Makes me want to charge hell with a water pistol. Not that that would do any good, but I mean, that's what it makes you want to do. You see a faithful man of God and you see God be faithful to that man. Was all those things that were done to him bad and wicked and evil? Yep. Thrown in prison, naked, put in a little cage, treated horribly, sending people after him, wanting them to kill him. All of that was terrible. And yet God purposed it for a good thing. Why? That he might receive the glory. And what is Arthur doing? He's giving God glory, is he not? And is he not telling people to do the same thing so that they might glorify God? Yes, he is. And we get to the end of the story of Job. And although the Bible says that Job didn't sin, Job does say this. He said, I knew that you were there. I knew you were a good God, but now my eyes have seen it. I've seen you in the midst of this. I've seen you do this. And he says, he even throws this in, I repent in dust and ashes. I mean, what do you say? No, Job, you're wrong. It wasn't good. You didn't learn anything about God. All that evil stuff. And, and by the way, God re replenished everything that had been taken from him. Mm -hmm. Everything the devil stole from him, God put it back. The children, left him with his wife, but the children, all the livestock, the servants, all that. God restored it. Does he do that for everybody in the same way? No, I'm not going to tell you he does that. But the point is, he's right there in the midst of these things. What about, you know, I, as I was thinking about uh, Baldwin's sermon from the other day and thinking about this, one of the things that's interesting is, is that the people of Israel were told, Jesus going to the cross said, don't weep for me, weep for yourselves, weep for your children. The, you know, the blood, the blood of the prophets is crying out to you from the ground. It's going to come upon this generation, not some generation thousands of years in the future. It's coming upon this one. When you read that in Matthew 24, Luke 21, Mark 13, when you read that, he's talking about then. And we have it documented that Jesus did come back then, and he did judge Jerusalem, just like he said. But were the people repentant? Go over to Revelation chapter 9. Notice what it says here. Verse 20, And the rest of the men which were not killed by these plagues, yet repented not of the works of their hands, that they should not worship devils and idols of gold and silver and brass and stone and of wood, which neither can see nor hear nor walk, neither repented they of their murders, nor their sorceries, nor of their fornication, nor of their thefts. They wouldn't repent despite God bringing all kinds of judgment upon them. And men, don't, men haven't learned anything today. How many men continue on in their sin by engaging in the sorceries, taking two or three, four shots, boosters, all this other, be trusting 
trusting in the sorcerer more than they trust in God. Hmm? How, how many people are doing that? How many people, they can be smitten with all kinds of disease, they can lose all kinds of things, and yet they continue in their murders, their sorceries, their fornications, and their thefts, their adulteries, their conspiracies. They continue to do it. I'll tell you why they, do, they continue to do it, because they haven't been born again. Listen to me, friend. The gospel is not God loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life. The gospel is not ask Jesus in your heart. The gospel is repent, be reconciled unto God. And you can only be reconciled unto God through Jesus Christ. Now let's look a little further. I want to take a couple of examples out of the book of Revelation, chapter 2 and 3, of where God calls us to do such things. And then I want to bring it to the greatest atrocity that's ever happened in human history. And I want to ask you, was it evil or was it good? Or was it a combination of the two, depending on the intentions of men's hearts? Okay, and I'm just going to go ahead and say it now. We got about two minutes or so uh, to the end of the show. So if you want to hear the rest of this, then head over to sonsoflibertymedia.com, top of the page there on the right side, or beforeitsnews.com, uh, or any of the other places that I mentioned before, you'll be able to pick that up, okay? All right, so <clears throat> this is out of, I'm going to go ahead and start it. This is out of Revelation chapter 2, and we, we're we going to read some of the, what what's said in these churches. And here's the way I try to I try to approach it. I don't always do it perfectly, but I try to approach it. I try to see whatever may be that which is praiseworthy or quote-unquote good, let me put it that way, uh, in people or in organizations, whatever. I try to see that first and then point out the bad. This is what Jesus does. These, these are the words of Christ through the Apostle John to the churches in Asia Minor. Here's what he says. Unto the angel of the church of Ephesus, and this is basically to the messenger there, would be to what we might refer to as the, the pastor or the shepherd there uh, at the church of Ephesus, write, These things saith he that holdeth the seven stars in his right hand, who walketh in the midst of the seven golden lamp candlesticks. Uh, in fact, that's really kind of a bad translation. I think it should be lampstands, as it is in others, because... My understanding was they didn't have candles in, but I could be wrong. Uh, it's been a while since I've done a thorough study here in <laughs> Revelation, for sure. But he says, I know thy works and thy labor and thy patience and how thy, thou cannot spare them which are evil. Uh, let me let me pick that up at the end. Uh, we'll, we'll cover this over. If you want to catch us, sonsoflibertymedia.com, top of the page, right side there. And beforeitsnews.com, Bradley be with you at 3. And we'll be back with you in the morning. Kate Shimarani will be with us at 8 a.m. we got a special guest. Don't miss it. Talk to you then. See you. All right. I uh, want to welcome everybody coming over from Red State Talk Radio. And uh, we're going to continue on. This is from Revelation chapter 2. Again, we pick up in verse 2. I know thy works and thy labor and thy patience and how thou canst not bear them which are evil. Good. Yeah, the church shouldn't bear them. Okay. And thou hast tried them which say they're apostles and are not and has found them to be liars, and has borne and has patience for my name's sake, has labored and has not fainted. So, so they have a good doctrine. They have a good practice within the church, and he praises them for that. This is good stuff that you're doing. Nevertheless, I have somewhat against thee, because thou hast left thy first love. You're going through the motions of doing all the good stuff, but you don't have any love for me. 
and you really don't have any love for either, either one of, for, for the people within your congregation. But he's saying, you've left your first love. What is that? That's their love for God. And how can you really love men if you don't love God? You can't. So he says, Remember, therefore, from whence thou art fallen, and repent. And do the first works. Do those works that you're doing now, but do them out of love. Don't do them out of obligation or duty. Do them out of love. Or else I will come unto thee quickly and will remove thy candlestick out of his place, except thou repent. Well, that's not very nice of you, Jesus, to do that. Well, you know, he's given warnings like he did with Israel. And did Jesus do that? Yep, he removed, he removed the church out of Ephesus. Gone. But this thou hast, that thou hatest the deeds of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. To him that overcometh, I will give to eat of the tree of life, which is in the midst of the paradise of God. All right, so that's the first one. So he calls them to repentance. But he gives them warning of judgment if they don't. Okay? And unto the angel of the church in Smyrna write, these things saith the first and the last, which was dead and is alive. And you notice how he identifies with them. Because Smyrna is one that is a, a place that they have been persecuted heavily. Even been killed. He's going to make mention of that in a second. So he says, I'm the one who was dead and is alive. I know thy works in tribulation, poverty, but thou art rich. And I know the blasphemy of them which say they are Jews and are not, but are the synagogue of Satan. I highly encourage you to take a look at, uh, again, Chuck Baldwin. Uh, we posted his article yesterday on Israel, the third rail. There were people running around calling themselves Jews who are not Jews. I, we've been through this before. Paul says, the true Jew is the one circumcised of the heart, not of the flesh. And there are those of Israel who are not Israel. Or they're, not everyone who is of Israel is Israel. Okay. So these people come in and they claim they're Jews, but they're of the synagogue of Satan. They're still hanging on to what the writer of Hebrews warned them not to go back to. They're the Judaizers. Okay? This is, this, this is these guys. Fear none of those which thou shalt suffer. Behold, the devil shall cast some of you into prison, that you may be tried, and ye shall have tribulation ten days. Be thou faithful unto death. Wait a minute, that's not a good message, is it? <laughs> I'm going to die here? Ah, be faithful unto death, and I will give thee a crown of life. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit say unto the churches. He that overcometh shall not be hurt of the second death. So this is the only one, I believe the only church that Jesus writes to here in Asia Minor, in which he doesn't have anything bad to say. He just exhorts them to continue on doing what they're doing. Then we get Pergamos, and we find out they hold the false doctrine of Balaam, who taught Balak to cast a stumbling block before the children of Israel, to eat things sacrificed in idols and commit fornication. And they hold to the, the doctrine of Nicolaitans. The people at Ephesus, they rejected it. Okay? And he then goes on and he says, So hast thou also them that hold the doctrine of the Nicolaitans, which I hate, repent, or else I will come unto thee quickly and will fight against them with the sword of my mouth. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. To him that overcometh, I will give to eat of the hidden manna, and will give him a white stone, and in the stone a new name written, which no man knoweth, saving he that receive it. 
And there's a lot of uh, cultural things that happen here with the white stones and the new names and all that stuff. And then we'll see the pillars in the uh, temple of my God and all this kind of stuff. If I was going to be teaching this, we would take each letter the same at a time. But I'm kind of giving you an overview of what's going on, that there is, even in the church, what does the Bible say? Judgment begins at the house of God. Oh, what's going to happen to the ungodly if it's if it's starting there? Hmm. One more. I'm just going to hit these kind of quick because uh, I want to get to the, the final part of this. The church at Thyatira. These things said the Son of God who hath eyes like unto a flame of fire, and his feet are like fine brass. I know thy works in charity and service and faith, and thy patience and thy works, and the last to be more than the first. Notwithstanding, I have a few things against thee, because thou sufferest that woman Jezebel, which calleth herself a prophetess, to teach and to seduce my servants, to commit fornication, and to eat things sacrificed unto idols. Boy, I can name off some people who are like that today in the quote-unquote church. I gave her space to repent of her fornication. She repented not. I will cast her on a, be- on a bed, and them that commit adultery with her into great tribulation, except they repent of their deeds. I will kill her children with death, and all the churches shall know that I am he which searches the reins and, ha- and hearts, and I will give unto every one of you according to your works. Well, gosh, that doesn't sound very loving. That doesn't sound very good, God. Yep, he's got a good purpose in it, and guess what? It's to glorify himself. If you want, if you won't repent, which will glorify him, you'll glorify him in judgment, because he's a just judge. He's not a judge that can be bribed or bought off, and this is what he's warning about. Let me tell you something: God is just as much glorified in hell as he is in heaven. Don't think he's not. He's just as much glorified in the redemption of sinners as much as he is in the judgment of the wicked. Same God. Why? Because all of his attributes are on display that men should give him glory. All right, so that's Thyatira. Let's move over here. I think I can move with that little button there. Yeah. Okay, so just a couple more to go. This is to the church at Sardis. And he says this, verse 2, Be watchful and strengthen the things which remain that are ready to die, for I have not found thy works perfect before God. Remember, therefore, how thou hast received and heard, and hold fast and repent. If therefore thou shalt not watch, I will come on thee as a thief, and thou shalt not know what hour I will come upon thee. Thou hast a few names, even in Sardis, which have not defiled their garments. So in the midst of you know them doing whatever they're doing, there's some that were, were actually keeping themselves walking before the Lord in holiness. And they shall walk with me in white, for they are worthy. He that overcometh the same shall be clothed in white raiment, and I will not blot out his name out of the book of life, but I will confess his name before my Father and before his angels. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. Then we've got the church at Philadelphia, the church of brotherly love, right? I know that works. Verse 8, Behold, and this is in chapter 3, Behold, I have set before thee an open door, and no man can shut it, for thou hast a little strength, and hast kept my word, and hast not denied my name. Behold, I will make them of the synagogue of Satan, which say they are Jews and are not, but do lie. Boy, isn't that interesting how that keeps coming up? Behold, I will make them to come and worship before thy feet, and to know that I have loved thee. Isn't that what Paul says? He says the gospel makes the... well. 
what was termed the Jews, it makes them jealous, doesn't it? Because God has blessed his new covenant people that are made up of Jews and Gentiles into one new man. We're not divided by Jew and Gentile. Ephesians 2, we are one new man. And people want to talk about modern day Israel and, you know, the Jews are in the land and blah, blah, blah. Listen, God did away with all of that in 70 AD. The whole destruction of that nation and system was to say, I have a new nation. It's not bound by borders on a postage stamp piece of land. I have a new nation, a royal priesthood. I have a new people. And it encompasses the earth. And so he says, Behold, I will make them a synagogue of Satan, <laughs> which say they are Jews and are not, but do lie. Behold, I will make them to come and worship before thy feet and to know that I have loved thee. Because thou hast kept the word of my patience, I will also keep thee from the hour of temptation, which shall come upon all the world to try them that dwell upon the earth. Behold, I come quickly, hold fast that which thou hast, that no man take thy crown. Him that overcometh will I make a pillar in the temple of my God. Mm-hmm. Mm While everybody's looking for temples over in the Middle East... God has already created a temple. It's called the church. It's called the people of God. And all throughout the New Testament, that's all you do is see the symbolism of that. That we are living stones, right? That our bodies are the temple of God. That God inhabits the praise of his people when they are together. We, we see that with Jesus in Matthew 18. Where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am in the midst. When they are gathered, the assembly is gathered together to bring a discipline upon a sinning brother who won't repent. That's what the context is. Look, God is there when you're by yourself. He doesn't need two or three to do that. The two or three are the witnesses to confirm that there is sin going on in the midst of the church that they have to deal with. But there he is, right there in the midst of the people, in his temple, in his temple. We also see verse 14. Unto the angel of the church of the Laodiceans write, These things saith the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of the creation of God. I know thy works, thou art neither cold nor hot. I would thou wert cold or hot. So then, because thou art lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will spew thee out of my mouth. Because thou sayest, I am rich, and increased with goods, and have need of nothing, and knowest not that thou art wretched, and miserable, and poor, and blind, and naked. I counsel thee. And there's a lot of stuff going on here culturally, too. Because these guys had like some eye salve that they produced. And they think they can see, but they're blind. And they think they're rich, but they're really poor. You think you don't have any need of anything, and yet you're wretched and you're miserable. Boy, if this isn't a picture of America today, I don't know what it is. I really don't. I counsel thee to buy of me gold tried in the fire, that thou mayest be rich, and white raiment, that thou mayest be clothed, and that the shame of thy nakedness do not appear, and anoint thine eyes with eye salve, that thou mayest see. And look at this. I, I mean, oh my goodness. As many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. What does the Bible say about the father who doesn't discipline his son says he hates him. He hates his son whom he won't chastise. Now, some kids, you can do it more with your mouth or a look 
than you can with a spanking. Okay? But look at what God says about it. To the church of Laodicea, the one that's on the fence, it's not hot or cold. They think they got it all under control. Boy, I'm telling you, if this isn't the American church, I don't know what is. And he says, as many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Isn't it nice to know that when you are being disciplined of God, it is a sign that he loves you to correct you? I've told you, I've had some of that chastening. It's not fun when you go through it. It's not enjoyable. Sometimes it feels... Sometimes it feels downright bad. But it is for our good, is it not? Be zealous, therefore, and repent. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. This is not Jesus knocking on the door of your heart stuff that some of these preachers are coming at. Look at the context. He's talking about the church. I'm standing at the door and knocking. If any man hear my voice and open the door, I will come into him and will sup with him and he with me. I'm going to have fellowship with you. I'm going to have communion with you. Open up the door, church. You've got Ichabod written over the top of it. The glory has departed. How do I know that? Because Jesus is on the outside knocking, trying to get in. He's wanting to come in. Let the glory fill the church again. To him that overcometh will I grant to sit with me in my throne, even as I also overcame and am sat down with my father in his throne. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit said unto the churches. Why did you read all those about the churches there in Revelation? Well, I'm showing you there are bad things that are happening and are going to come on those churches if they don't repent. And in the midst of it, God is being good by bringing, like what we just read there, discipline, chastisement upon them. To get them to repent. That's his. That's what. That's why he's bringing it. So back to our topic for the day. Where is God in the midst of all this darkness, and what is He doing? It is dark. There's no doubt. It's it's dark here in America and across the earth. No question about it. What's God doing in the midst? I can't see. I, I, don't, I don't have the mind of God to tell you. I can tell you this, though. He is trying to get people's attention to get them to repent. And in the midst of that, he's also judging people that he has long endured, trying to get them to repent, and they won't do it. And he said, like with Noah, in the days of Noah, he says, my spirit ain't always going to strive with you. Nope, you're getting judgment. But let's ask something, because people say, where's God in the midst of all this bad stuff and this, that, and the other? No, uh, hate for lies. Let me answer that right quick. Uh, I'm just now seeing it because I had the screen up over where the, the stuff is. Hate for lies on uh, Rumble asks, are the true Jews the Messianic Jews? No. The, read the book of Galatians. The true Jew, the true son of Abraham, is anyone who has the faith of Abraham. Remember, there were, there were Jews living at the, in the day of Christ, and Jesus looked at them and said, you're of your father, the devil. You're not, you're not Abraham's children. Your daddy's the devil. You're a, he was a murderer from the beginning. You're just like him. He's a liar from the beginning. You're just like him. The true Jew, the true uh, children of Abraham, are those who have the faith of Abraham. And what is that? In the promised seed. 
Read Galatians. It'll lay it all out for you. It really will. That's, whole, that's, that's all what Galatians is about, is showing that. And if you, if you don't get that, put that together with Ephesians 2. Where those who were far off, Gentiles at the time, have been brought nigh and made part of the commonwealth of Israel. We have become Israelites in the real sense, not some geopolitical thing. We become real Israelites. And we're heirs of the promises that God has made to our father Abraham, which was about Christ, right? And again, Galatians says, to his promised seed, not seeds as of many, but as of one, Jesus Christ. Okay, so the, the, if you really want to know who the true Jew is, if they're a believer and a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ, there's your real Jew. Everybody else is just taking on a name. They don't bear the substance of what the promise was about. Okay, so uh, hopefully that answers the question. So let's ask, let's, let's, I know, again, this one it, to me is the biggest one to point out to people. Where's God when all this bad stuff's happened? I've, I've lost my child or, you know, we, we really focus on the children, but it happens with adults too. We have people that we love that we lose or they're enduring terrible things in their life. Maybe they got cancer. Maybe they're going through a divorce or a number of things. Why does God allow, allow this stuff to happen? I would say God purposes it. Now, does he command it? No, not saying that. Not saying that. But he purposes it. Otherwise, how can it have any purpose at all? You have to think about it. Is man just running around doing his own thing? Is he just, uh, you know, his, just this free will agent in the sense that he's just going to do anything out from under the sovereignty of God? Well, Satan can't do that. We saw that in the story of Job, didn't we? Satan can't just run and attack Job anytime he wanted. There was a hedge around him. And this is why he was like, ah, let me in at him a little bit. Let me in at him a little bit. And then let me get, instead of just getting his stuff, let me get him. And he still had to have permission to do it. Who did he get permission from? God, the God who purposed it. And he purposed it, as we read in Romans 8, 28, for the good of Job and for his own glory. Now, I understand it's hard to buy into some of that because we go, that just doesn't sound... But what are you reading? If you believe the Bible, you've got to believe what it says about it. you got to believe it. You may wrestle with it, but you've got to believe that. So you ask the question, where's God in the midst of all of this stuff that's going on? Same place he was when Jesus hung upon the cross. Let me ask you something. Did Jesus deserve to be hung on a cross, put nails in his hands and feet? Did Jesus deserve to be mocked and spat upon? Did Jesus deserve to have a crown of thorns shoved down his head? Did Jesus deserve to be stripped naked, to walk through the streets carrying a cross and be nailed naked in humiliation before the gawking, mocking uh, eyes of those who wanted him dead? Is that, is that what he did? Was that something he deserved? What did he do to deserve that? Nothing. Nothing. And yet, where was God in the midst of that? He, he didn't go anywhere. He was right there. Oh, but, but Jesus said, Father, Father, why have you forsaken me? That was Jesus' perception as a man because he took upon the sin of the world. Go back into the garden, the first Adam. What happened with him? 
when he took of the fruit, he and his wife, what did they do? Because apparently they had a time where they met with God and they walked in the garden. In the cool of the day is what the Bible says. God came looking for his time with, with Adam and Eve. And where were they? They were hiding from him. They, were, they didn't have the fellowship they had before. How many? Let me ask you this. How many of you have been in loving families and you were really rebellious? Probably a lot of you can identify with this. I, I can. I've told you. To my great shame. The rebelliousness that I showed towards a mother and father that loved me and poured themselves into me made me there, did all the stuff that you see in Ephesians 1 where God takes and adopts us as his children. I rebelled against that. And there were a lot of times I didn't want to be around my mom and dad because that, though they loved me, it was on my part that things were darkened. And the Bible says that for Christ, he became sin who knew no sin that we might be the righteousness of Christ. Now, I want to ask you something. Were the intentions of the Romans evil? Yes. Were the intentions of the Jews evil against Christ? Yes. What was the intention of God in Christ going to the cross? Hmm? It was good, wasn't it? Just like Joseph, that he might save many people, or as we read in the King James, much people. Is that to say that the evil things that happen in the world, we shouldn't point out as evil? No, we should. Joseph saying, you meant it for evil. It was an evil thing that you guys did. My brothers. Jesus could look around and say, this is an evil, wicked thing you're doing to me. Oh. But God has a good purpose in it. God has a good purpose even in the midst of evil intentions. Even in the midst of evil intentions. Does God have a good purpose in the wicked things that go on in this world? Yep, I believe he does. I don't understand it all, but you know what? One day he's going to explain it to us just what he was doing. That does not justify wicked men and what they do, though. Go to Romans 9. Well, who's the... I didn't even bring this up. Let me bring this up because I can hear people saying, well, how can you hold these two opinions? Well, they're not two opinions. They're one, but there's a doctrine that we understand in that. And let me just bring this up real quick just to make the point. I didn't have this one up because we went through Romans 9 uh, sometime back. And uh, <clears throat> so I want to be able to take, this, take you through this and showing you these things. Um, but in Romans 9... One of the things that we say, uh, that we see here, let me just pick it up in verse 13 and I'll give you the context, okay? Um, it says, As it is written, Jacob have I loved, but Esau have I hated. Now, what's hard to understand about that? Nothing, except for our indoctrination where we want to say God loves everybody the same and he doesn't. What shall we say then? Is there unrighteousness with God? God forbid. For he saith to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy. I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. So then, it is not of him that willeth, nor of him that runneth, but of God that showeth mercy. It's not about what family you come from. It's not about how hard you try. It's not about uh, what you will. 
It's about God who shows mercy. For the scripture saith unto Pharaoh, Even for this same purpose have I raised thee up, that I might show my power in thee, and that my name might be declared throughout all the earth. Therefore hath he mercy on whom he will have mercy, and whom he will he hardeneth. And here comes the question. Here comes the question that I can perceive that some people might think of when I'm talking the way I am. Thou wilt say then unto me, Why doth he yet find fault? For who has resisted his will? You know, we see two things going on in Scripture. One, we see the declared will of God. The revealed will of God. What He has commanded us to do and not to do. That's pretty clear. Do all men follow that properly and rightly and perfectly? Nope, that's why we need a Savior. Okay. And then we have the secret will of God. The secret things are left to God. And that's part of what His decrees are. Unless He reveals what His decree is that's coming through a prophecy... That's up to God. We're going to learn it later on in eternity. Okay, But his secret will is taking place every moment of the day. And he has a good purpose in it. Even the evil, wicked things, he has a good purpose that he is accomplishing in that. You can rest assured he does. And so what do they say? Why doth he yet find fault? For who hath resisted his will? And then Paul gives sort of a backhand to people who ask something like that. Nay, but old man, who art thou to replyest against God? Shall the, and we could go right back to Job. Job didn't do that. Job didn't, wasn't one of these, you know, why is all this going, you know, this stuff, right? you know, the questioning of God in this kind of manner. Nay, but, O man, who art thou to repliest against God? Shall the thing formed say to him that formed it, Why hast thou made me thus? Hath not the potter power over the clay? Or, or is it man's response that the clay really has power over the potter? Isn't that what we hear today in the modern church? Oh, yes, the power of positive thinking. All of this kind of stuff. Of the same lump to make one vessel unto honor and another unto dishonor? What if God, willing to show his wrath and to make his power known, endured with much long-suffering the vessels of wrath fitted to destruction? What if? What if God set out men, the vessels that he created, so that he might show forth his glory in his wrath and in his judgment? We clearly see that with Pharaoh and his armies, don't we? Yep, we do. We see that in the transition uh, from uh, Bel, was it Belteshazzar, Belshazzar um, there in Babylon, as Darius uh, and those guys come in with the Medes and the Persians. Yep, we see him doing that. And we see them taken over by Greece, and we see them taken over by Rome. But we've seen all kinds of things like that. God does that. He has a good purpose in doing it. And then he might make known the riches. So the contrast of that is in his destruction of these vessels of wrath, verse 23, in contrast to that, he says, and that he might make known the riches of his glory on the vessels of mercy, which he had afore prepared unto glory. Even us whom he called, not of the Jews only, but also of the Gentiles. Hmm. Harkens back to the Old Testament. Those people who were my people, I will no longer call them my people. And those people who weren't my people, I'll call them my people. 
The majority of people in this audience would profess Christ. They would recognize that the potter made them and that he's been long-suffering with them and he showed them mercy. Why did he do that? Well, it's obviously a good thing for us that he shows us mercy, right? But friends, he doesn't do it because we're cute, cuddly, lovable creatures. He does it because he's demonstrating his attribute of mercy, of love, of grace. Because we deserve the same thing that the vessels of wrath deserve, and that is destruction. And you contrast that in the same God by him exuding his justice and his holiness and bringing judgment upon and rightfully upon sinners who remain in their sin and showing mercy to thousands, to those who love him and keep his commandments, according to the third commandment. That's what he's doing. Now, here's the question. Are you a vessel of mercy or are you a vessel of wrath? If you're a vessel of mercy, understand you have good that has been given to you and everything that you do has a good purpose in it. And it is for your good, but ultimately it is so you will glorify God. And if you're a vessel of wrath, the command to you is, is to repent. If you're still in your sin, it's, it's to repent. Well, Tim, how do you know if I'm a vessel? I don't. We've taught on the elect. I don't know who's the elect and who isn't. It's not my job to figure that out. My job is to give the message that God gave and trust that he knows who his elect are. He knows which lumps of clay that are hardened and he can take and apply some water and soften them and make them into a new vessel. He knows what he's doing. Friends, the command to all of us, whether we are vessels of mercy or whether we are vessels of wrath, the command remains the same, that we're to be repentant. We're to be before God in all of this repentant people, willing to embrace what he says, to be renewed by, uh, changed by the renewing of our minds and to glorify him in all things. I hope it's been helpful. I, I it's been on my heart for a while uh, to speak about some of these things, and I because you know I I run into this a lot with people, especially when a lot of bad things are happening. Trust me, there are some things here in the household. Uh, I've told you some of the, some of the struggles that we have uh, with things like finances, or you know, my kid. I've had a couple of kids that have been sick this week. You know, and you kind of go, Lord, I, I don't I don't ask why, but I, I'm like. Father, you know that we have a need before we have it, before we ask it, but we know that you want us to ask of you so that we recognize where our answer comes from, and it doesn't come from ourselves. So I hope that this is beneficial to you guys. I hope it's encouragement, especially in the days ahead. Whatever comes, I don't care what kind of wicked man come out of D.C., your state, your county, whatever the case may be. I don't care if the, if the system collapses or whatever. Let me tell you something. God has a good purpose in what he's doing. You can trust in the all-powerful, all-knowing God of creation in the midst of these things. Why? Because he really is in control. We're not. He is. 
All right. You guys have a great day. Bradley be with you at 3 p.m. Eastern, 2 p.m. Central, sonsoflibertymedia.com. And then Kate's told me we've got a guest coming on tomorrow with her. So we'll see you in the morning, Lord willing, 8 a.m. Talk to you then. See ya.